Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Thoughts and Found podcast with Adam and Danielle McKenzie. In this podcast, we explore the space between what we think and what we discover and chat about all the lessons we learn along the way. And for this episode, we are very pleased to have back Dr. Mark Wilkinson. Mark and I have been speaking together for, this will be our, our fourth episode now. So far, we've covered a huge range of topics, everything from life philosophy to the nature of performing, to the public good versus private responsibility, and so many other different topics. We invite you to have a listen, and I am very, very glad to have uh, Mark back with us again today. So welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for being here again. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, and well to be back, I should say. That's great. Well, we've really enjoyed doing these shows uh, so far, and uh, we've been getting some wonderful feedback. So we again, we really appreciate your time uh, sharing that, uh, sharing your time with us here on this show. So thank you very much for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Today, we thought we would go over um, the highs and lows of a lifetime of performance. And, and so for some listeners who might just be tuning in, uh, Mark has spent much, you've spent much of your time performing, whether it's it's been doing um, um, singing, acting, being in front of audiences as a teacher, as an instructor, as a yoga instructor, much of your life has been dedicated to um, all things in front of other people and sharing your gifts and talents with them. Big crowds. <laughs> Big crowds. And you've done this broadly too. You've done this all over the world, North America, uh, various institutions all over the place. You have an amazing resume. <laughs> with you. all of that amazing work comes the you know, good days and bad days, highs and lows, ups and downs. Um, we've even talked briefly before about how even the, uh, the theatrical mask that the, so many people are familiar with has a happy face on one side and a mm -hmm. sad face on the other side. And there, there are many different reasons for that. So I'd like to turn it over to you and tell us about your experiences as, as someone who's been in front of people, who's voluntarily put yourself out in front of people for well, the majority of your life. Yes, I always feel like when we talk about this, it makes all artists think, am I am I kind of a sadist here? Am I, what am I doing in front of all of these? Who would choose to do this, right? I mean, who would? It's not easy. It's 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 not. There's a lot to go through, and yeah. I haven't performed to the extent you have. But just being in front of people takes a lot of time and effort. And I think something that surprises a lot of people is how many artists, performers, whatever word suits your fancy, mm -hmm. have stage fright, mm. and how many of us, if I may include myself in there, how many of us are shy, and how many of us are introverts. As well, I think that would surprise. Now, I'm not a fan of saying everybody is one thing or everybody else is something else. Of course. But yeah. more often than not, people might be surprised to hear that one of the things that performing does is actually gets us out of our shell. It actually is a way of scaring us, but in a good way, a sort of productive scare that somehow brings out something else that allows us to do but can sometimes feel like a sort of superhuman task especially when you know i'm i or my colleagues are singing into a 3000 seat hall without a microphone i mean that takes that takes the body but that takes the mind as well so absolutely yeah it's, it's definitely um an opportunity to to consider that not everybody was just born for the stage there's this idea that performers were all just singing and dancing out of the womb and that they just love attention and they're just starved for the applause of the crowd and you know that they're all these extroverted 
you know, loving the limelight type of, of people. But I have found in my time as an artist that that's actually quite the opposite. Now, hmm. there are a couple of those. Don't get me wrong. I have met some dear colleagues that I consider friends who are absolutely center of attention folks. They, mm -hmm. they love it and they, they can't get enough of it. And we love them. It's all good. It's all good. But uh, overall, I have found that many people in the performing arts are more introverted and shy than you would think. That's fascinating. That's really, really interesting. Um, I like um, the part where you said, like, you know, it forces you out of your proverbial shell. And um, yeah, that brings to mind that, like, you know, every journey starts with that first step. You've got to start and, and do it. Um, that's the hardest part in many cases, because once you kind of get that, uh, that effort rolling, it can kind of, in my experience, take over and, and do as you say, it brings you out. It, it forces you to become a better version of, of what you thought you were. Yep, absolutely. Often when you don't even know you have the capacity to do it. That's what surprises people is they try something, they have no idea if they're going to be good at it, and then the audience claps a little bit, or the teacher gives you praise, or the adjudicator at the festival gives you a good mark. You know, there's something mm -hmm. that can spark this sense of, wow, I had no idea that this was something I were capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're on this path. And I, I shared with all of you listeners and, and you, Adam and Danielle, that I'm a type B guy. I kind of found mm -hmm. my way into dance. I found my way into theater. I found my way into singing. It just, it honestly happened. And that's why I think I said in one of the episodes, I swear I'm telling the truth. I mean, it's it okay. really was, it, it wasn't as planned as people thought. And so I definitely, I mean, I knew I had a voice. I knew I could sing in tune. You know, I had been singing in choir for a long time and I knew I could act. That was all good. But it, it, it isn't necessarily something that a child knows that they're, able and willing to do for the rest of their life. And it can cause all sorts of joy. It can cause all sorts of grief, you know, grief and, you know, uncertainty about why you're doing this and, and if this is something that you really want to do and why in the world you would continue to put yourself out there to the scrutiny and critique mm -hmm. of the world, be it the, the larger world or the world that is your community depending mm -hmm. on the level at which you you work and the number of people with which you work so it's it's quite a journey mm -hmm. what do you think is it that that um people become uh like most afraid of like before that stops them from starting or stops them from continuing is it the stage fright is it their do they perceive that uh, everybody's going to be so critical instead of being supportive and being awed and amazed because you're the person up on stage doing something where the audience is not I think there are several things that continue that stage fright and continue that fear for people. And the first is always kind of in the sort of like a high, actually, always trying to be as good as you first felt when you realized you were good at it. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. always sort of striving because when you first were told you had a talent, the stakes were low. Right. Someone happened right. to mention, oh, you you seem to have the dexterity for piano or, oh, wow, you really have a, a body that moves beautifully for dance or you, oh, you have a voice that I hear something in, you know, there's always that initial sense of, oh, I might be good at this. And so you're constantly worried about maintaining, well, not worried, but for some people mm -hmm. worried about maintaining that level of talent and, and displaying that talent and having an off day when you're supposed to be a professional at this mm -hmm. can be very, very 
worrisome in the sense that professionalism doesn't always allow for bad days but being a human is about having good and bad days but when you have an audience eight o'clock the curtain's going up whether you're having a good day or a bad day right. and no one can put an insert in the program saying ladies and gentlemen tonight mark Wilkinson <laughs> needs your patience because he's having a bad day that's it not is. professional so we right. have to we have to get up and play the character sing the song dance the role whatever it is in spite of ourselves sometimes so right. it's really the combo of that it's it's striving for that initial talent that you have felt that felt so good and will i ever be that good again and also the reality that you have to navigate that human art form but that doesn't always allow for the human experience of the up and down days and how do you bring that bad day what will the what will my character be tonight how will i how will i say the lines tonight based on what i'm feeling how much should that play in how much shouldn't that play in and that's a constant balancing act for mm -hmm. so many uh, artists. Mm -hmm. And we spoke before too about um, the factors even outside of a person that influence what goes on. Everything from, you know, the first time someone gets up on a stage in front of 3,000 people, like you said, perhaps you can't even see a lot of those people. It's also you're looking at a, at a room that's that's dark, you can't see them. At the same time, you have lights shining down on you and the, the beads of sweat can break out on your, on your head just because it's hot, it, it's, mm -hmm. hot. It, it, it's hot in that environment. Or um, I don't know, maybe there's a, an extra step on the way up to the stage that you weren't anticipating or a little twist or a turn that can, the environment can have a, a big effect on you right as you're getting yourself to that prime spot that you need to be in that day. So the, I found it interesting. There's this interplay between what's going on inside the person and all this other stuff that's going on outside of them too. And this isn't even mentioning like the audience yet or the, or the yeah. other people who are watching. It's literally the physical environment. Not only can it have an effect, it always has an effect. Has an effect. It just yeah. does have an effect. The sense that you feel in a small, small recital hall you know, where maybe 50 to 100 people, you can basically see everybody, it's just you and a pianist, or versus a large Broadway theater or some massive concert hall, it's impossible for us as artists not to be affected by the space mm -hmm. that we're in. They're always going to have a different energy to the space. There's always going to be a different energy based on how many colleagues are on stage with you, how mm -hmm. much of the audience you can see. Because you're right, in a lot of theaters and concert halls, the you know, the house lights go down, you have spotlights shining in your face. So not only is the audience already dark, then you have this light in your face, so you can't really necessarily see anyone. And depending on one's sensibility, depending on one's personality, that can be a very bad or very good thing, depending right. on how much you want to be seen by the people in the audience. So the acoustic as well can have a huge effect mm -hmm. on how you feel the uh, even just the sense of cleanliness in the air you know god bless some right. of those old theaters that i perform in but there's some asbestos that i have definitely <laughs> you know some dust and older <laughs> stuff going on versus these beautiful gorgeous new recital halls that you walk in that just feel like you're in a hospital they're so clean i mean it just all of that stuff affects not just yeah, it doesn't. It, it's not that it just can affect it. It just does affect it, no matter, no matter where you are. So you you really can't escape it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you get yourself ready or your colleagues ready, like for that moment when you when you know maybe you've had a good day, maybe you've had a bad day. 
how do you get yourself prepped for that for you know the moment when the curtain's going to go up or the lights mm-hmm. are going to come on or the the introductory music starts how do you get yourself ready for that moment because i think i i'm hypothesizing here I, th- I think that's a moment that a lot of people might dread mm-hmm. but i think i think just, so there's got to be a way that that performers get themselves ready for that point and, and then the people i'm saying who dread it they might be a, someone who would aspire to be on stage or inspire to be in front of somebody but maybe that's holding them back what kind of tips or recommendations do you have for adjusting one's headspace for getting ready for those types of those moments interestingly i would divide the preparation into a sort of 70 30 split if not an 80 20 split and that 80 percent is how prepared you are with the actual repertoire is what i mean mm-hmm. 80 percent of the nerves that come for us usually have to do with not knowing our lines or not knowing our fingering or not knowing our words, not knowing the melody. The more you know a piece, for example, um, let's take again a very famous work, Handel's Messiah, because we're about to enter the season of (laughs) November and December are Messiah town. And so um, that's a piece most of us could sing in our sleep. Okay. So if I'm hired to sing the Messiah, those arias that I've sung a million times, that 80% is taken care of. Right. Now, the 80% should always be taken care of because as a professional, you should always be prepared. Mm -hmm. But busy schedules, life happens. You didn't get the score, you know, but only a week before the show or whatever, you know, life happens. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of nerves have to do with a lack of preparation. Mm Mm-hmm. If you know your part inside and out, whether it's spoken, sung, danced, played, <laughs> twirled, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> thrown, whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. if you know your part, you are instantly more confident. Because right. if you can walk on stage, walk onto the recital hall, walk into the concert hall, whatever it is, and you could sing it in your sleep, you're already so much more relaxed. So in terms of advice or recommendations, if there's any young artist listening, to this would be really most of your nerves are when you're not prepared right that's the most nervous you'll ever be so the goal as a professional is never to be not prepared (laughs) and so then the 20 percent that's left is about how much did you rehearse how much time have you had with your colleagues do you know the staging because you only had a night to prepare it you know especially if you're an understudy coming on you know right. last minute or you're a replacement for somebody who got ill mm-hmm. uh, how's your breathing exercises before you go on stage did you warm up are you dressed did you show up you know with 30 seconds to a curtain or did you show up with 10 minutes to curtain to actually be backstage so it's really a combination of things and everybody has their process everybody Uh, I was actually joking with some colleagues and friends of mine where when you do an opera in Europe, for example, and half of the cast is North American and half of the cast is European, let's say. It's not always that percentage, but let's say it's about half and half. When you show up to the first rehearsal, the North Americans always have their score tabbed and highlighted and dog-eared and you know they've got everything underlined and they have all the translations written underneath you know it, we are taught in the west well especially in north america to be just studious and well prepared and it's so funny to look at north americans opera scores it, they're just notated up to the nines and then the europeans walk into rehearsal does anybody have a, a score 
then like they're, they're, I'm exaggerating, but they're just a little bit more relaxed over there. So they have some beaten up score and they had to borrow a score from someone, you know, it, it's really interesting to see the different processes that people have. And one could judge one or the other as being better or worse. That's not what I'm here to do today. But um, whatever takes care of that other 20% for you, you have to find that feeling, whether it has to do with your nervous system physiology, getting into that parasympathetic state where you are not worried so much, you know, getting rid of those butterflies. Although a little bit of nerves, I think I even said that on another episode, a mm -hmm. little bit of nerves, that's a good thing. You it can help. Care. It keeps you sharp. Keeps you sharp and it shows in the moment. that you care. It, shares that you, it shows that you want to do a good job. And that's that's great. So it's about balancing the nervous system, not mm -hmm. not worrying about the sympathetic nervous system but how can you use the sympathetic nervous system to your advantage while accessing as much of that parasympathetic nervous system as possible because that's where we want to be we want to be in that state where we're just easy breathing flowing in the moment going through the motions that you know as they say yeah so for me 80 percent of it is taken care of by being prepared mm -hmm. and then the 20 percent I have some personal recommendations about breathing exercises and stretching and all that stuff, but people will find their own 20. Mm -hmm. I've heard that, you know, visualization is a huge, huge um, component of that for many people and across many different disciplines, whether it's music, sports, a lot of athletes use a lot of, you know, visualization, seeing the track, knowing the track, what direction they're going to be looking in, what even imagine themselves going faster or higher or farther whatever the you know the olympic slogan kind of thing is to um how much of that plays into um like performing I, I would imagine that's more difficult because you're not always performing in the same spot so you might you might have you know a general sense of you know there's a stage and there's going to be a thousand people and there's five steps to get up or down but do you get a lot of time beforehand to, to check that venue out or test the acoustics before you go on or is it is it totally different sometimes Totally. Visualization for many performing artists has a lot more to do with visualizing what is constant no matter what space you're in. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's visualizing mm -hmm. what is my breath doing? What does my breath feel like? Am I actually relaxed into my body enough that my diaphragm can descend and allow my lungs to open and take in air? Mm -hmm. What does the back of my neck feel like? What's my tongue doing? There's a lot of visualization that we have to do because we are in a sense, kinesiologists as performers, because mm -hmm. our body is our instrument. So for me, no matter what venue I'm in, because as I said a moment ago, the acoustic can all doesn't. It's not that it can always change; it just does always well, change. Sure, sure. The size, the audience size, the number of colleagues on stage—all of that will change. So I have found that visualization, personally, and my colleagues may have a different process, which is mm -hmm. fantastic. My process has always involved visualizing what I can control in the moment and not trying to control what I can't with the stuff that's less constant. What is hopefully constant for me is knowing what it feels like to be balanced on my feet, knowing what it feels like to have my center of gravity balanced throughout my body, to have my diaphragm able to relax because I'm not holding my stomach in or of nerves, right? Feeling the diaphragm descend, feeling the lungs open, feeling the larynx be relaxed and low, feeling my tongue relaxed, allowing the breath to move in and out, feeling where I want the resonance to feel, understanding my plan, the technical plan that I have as a singer, mm. because not every acoustic gives you the same feedback. 
right. as the previous right. or the next one. Mm -hmm. So I have to have my own te technique visualized as well. What am I doing when I sing and what am I feeling? Whereas what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, that is always changing. But hopefully what I think about as I sing and what I feel inside, that's the constant. So does that that differentiation make sense? It's visualizing Absolutely. what I can do versus visualizing what I have no control, control over. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. For sure. Well, that's 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 interesting. I like that. I like that. And maybe visualizing my words too, right? Just making mm -hmm. sure, okay. Because as an actor, when you go through an entire piece, every time you breathe, you have a new thought, right? So making sure that I'm going through that journey as an actor. So every line I deliver is a new thought, like I've never said it before, right? That okay. the character is going through the journey for the first time because to the audience they have to see my character going through that for the very first time and that was the famous um uh i'm forgetting his first name liza minnelli's father was a very famous director in the early 1900s vincent i think it was vincent minnelli excuse me if i got that wrong he asked him one time dad what's what's acting what what is acting and he said it's hearing something for the first time and saying something for the first time, which is such a beautiful, it's a perfect description mm -hmm. of it. So I like to visualize that journey, making sure that I, as an actor, am taking the journey with the audience so that I'm always thinking the thought for the first time. So there's many things to visualize mm -hmm. that hopefully center you and not make it all about the venue and how famous it is and get your ego sure. out of the equation mm -hmm. <laughs> and come back to professionalism, which is not ego based, but work based and, you know, delivering the best. That's what that's what real performing is about. And that gets me out of my own egotistical sense of I must do well and please people. <laughs> right. Yeah, remove that pressure from yourself and, and then you're you can you can get into that flow state a little bit more. And then you can have a bad day because even mm -hmm. if you're having a bad day, but you visualize all of those can you know kinesiology things, all of those technical things, all of those art artistic things, then you're still doing 90% of the work, even if you're not having, having a 100% day. day. As part of your, your visualization, then, do you also um, work to factor in like some of those things that you maybe can't control? Like maybe you, you get a different reverberation off a, off a ceiling or a, a wall, or, or maybe you get a different sound coming through the sound system, like things that you do, do you have a a schematic or a way that you think ahead of time about how you're going to respond to some of those unexpected things. I mean, we're getting into more like detailed, if you can control 90% or 80% of the stuff and the other 10% is good and 5% of this is great, you're now down to a couple little things. <laughs> Do you have a sort of a, a strategy in your mind for dealing with those remaining unexpected things? To keep yourself really? centered and focused. Right. For me, it's about, did I have an opportunity to at least speak or sing in the space once mm -hmm. that's the big thing because again every acoustic is different but if i'm at least getting a sense of what this acoustic is like the the scariest is when you have to walk on stage and you've never spoken or sung in this space which would be rare thank goodness that's really not okay. how professional jobs should ever work <laughs> right. but good. again yes. there have been concerts especially where someone got sick and you're called in sometimes that day if not the night before so sometimes you don't always have a lot of time in the space which mm -hmm. is why i don't rely too much on the space so the typical mm -hmm. my, my, my basic answer to your question is it's nice to get that and it does help sure. us 
but I really rely on it as little as possible. So there isn't too much of a schematic in that sense. Um, whereas if you've been doing a play and you've been rehearsing in the space for the whole tech week leading up to the show, well, then you're fine, right? You, so you know, you know what inside it by that point. Depends on whether it's a play, opera, concert. You, it, so I just try to rely on my own sense of telling the truth mm -hmm. through the words that I deliver. Yeah. Just tell the story and don't be perfect. Don't be not perfect, but don't be perfect. Yeah. And get, get, out of your, get out of your own way to let yourself do the best job you can. Just speak or sing the text, tell the story, tell the truth. And it's okay if it's only, you know, 90% of what you can do. 90% of what I can do is, you know, compared to the average person who doesn't have my talents, you know, it's still, <laughs> it, we have to remind ourselves as performers sometimes because we are very shy and self-effacing. We even have to remind ourselves of our own gifts sometimes. It's very hard for us to acknowledge our own gifts, oddly enough. You would think we would to go into this profession. But to to remember that 90% of, of your gift, there's a reason you're a professional. <laughs> there's a reason that 90% of your talent is a lot more than the average person who, you know, maybe doesn't do this professionally. And it, and it feels a little... Um, I don't know. It feels a little narcissistic to call it a gift, but it is. It's 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 a it's a talent that artists that artists have, and if you can't embrace it, then let's go do something else, right? That's it. Even if part of that talent is being able to get yourself into that space to stand up and do it, not all people can do that, and um and and that's fine. That's, that's half that's the work, my friend. I mean, really, there. just getting up, opening your mouth, and doing it is doing just. It. <laughs> That is really half the battle, or even 80% of that I was talking about earlier of the battle. It's it's funny you said that because that's one of the most common pieces of advice that um, Danielle and I see circulating about people trying to decide about, should I, should I try a podcast? Yes, just, just do it. Because even if you stop after one episode, you tried it. Like Just try and, and see, take that step and, and go do it. Um, one of the most valuable lessons that I learned along the way, which I think fits really nicely with what you're saying, because um, I was doing competitive Highland drumming, and one of my good friends and, and instructors had said, once you realize that everybody actually wants you to succeed, it removes a lot of the, a, a lot of the pressure when you're you know you're marching up to the line to start your performance. The judges, when they're writing on the judging pages, they're not there to actually tear you down. If there's any criticism, it's to help you get better the next time. And the audience, like they're in the audience, they're not doing the competition, they're not on the stage. They want to see you express your art, put your talent to work in front of everybody. They're, they're there to see it and enjoy it. And once you kind of realize that, it takes so much of the pressure away from, uh, particularly, you know, people who are new to that kind of competitive performing environment. Uh, but man, once, once that sinks in and then you get to actually see those judging sheets or you get to talk to the judge afterwards or talk to the other uh, performers afterwards, man, it's such, a, it's such a great feeling when you realize, actually, I don't need to be scared here because people want me to do well. No one pays $50 for a ticket to come see a show to watch you fail. No, they, they, they want to see the very best you can do. And that can be, you know, pressure on one hand, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But once they kind of learned, you can also let that melt a lot of your stress away. It, it's, a, it's a really helpful, it was, it was such a very helpful lesson to learn. And it's a classic tale of our human brain, our human heart, and our frankly human ego, remembering the five critics and forgetting the 500 supporters. Right. Yeah. 
paying attention to the the negative stuff you hear and not not all the positive stuff you get. And it's so easy to do because we are told that most people want to see you succeed. But the ones that really just torture us are the five that actually don't want you to succeed. And have a loud voice about it or something. Yeah, yeah, and the problem is is that those five people are miserable people. Mm -hmm. There's probably not much that's going to make them happy anytime. Nothing you could have done because their ego was such that their job, they thought, (laughs) was to tear you down. They Mm -hmm. thought that... For some reason, they see either young or established artists as a threat. They see young or established artists as their project, you know, whatever it may be. And Mm -hmm. I will admit, you know, when I was in my master's degree, there was a um, there was an instructor at that institution who seemed to make it their mission to tear me down any time they could. And do I remember that person? Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I do, and, and that's why I say human ego, human brain, human heart, because I am human too. It's right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to come across as a saint here because I am not. That person was, unfortunately, I don't let that person do that to me anymore because I don't let them live sure. in my brain rent free. But mm-hmm, um, at the time, mm-hmm. they were a big reason that I doubted why I was going into this wow. business because their job seemed to be, as far as I could tell, because their adjudication sheet was inhumane. Their adjudication sheet was insulting. It was personal. It was attacking me. It was horrible. And mm. I'm amazed that that person calls themselves a teacher. <laughs> mm. I'm absolutely amazed by that. But any artist listening to this right now is going, yep, mm-hmm, yep, yep. I can remember wow. that. You know, everybody has that person, or sometimes five, as I said earlier. Mm. There are going to be those people. And unfortunately, they can cloud the 500 people during my master's degree or whatever, <laughs> random numbers, who, sure, sure. who were in my corner. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's easy to concentrate on the five miserable <laughs> stick in the muds versus yeah. all of the people who, who were there to actually help you. And mm-hmm. so I completely agree that it's important for artists, young or established, to remember that most people want to see you succeed. Mm-hmm. I just would throw in a little plug for the fact that that's easy to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that that was your intention, Adam, but I just no, think no. easy to say. Easy to and say. I do try yeah. to remind my students of that. But I also know that it's harder to do because when you have people believe in you, it's great. When you have people who don't believe in you and are vindictive about it and and mm-hmm. and really sort of seem to <laughs> corner you and seek you out to to tear you down mm-hmm. that's 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 hard absolutely that's i mean that's when you're getting into like just evil behavior yeah when people when people do that and um um how do you work to overcome that how do you, how do you, cause like, I, I think what you said, there's a lot of truth there too. So I, I have people in my life that I remember, unfortunately, because of, you know, negative interactions with those people. Um, I like your expression about you. You don't want to have them staying rent free in your mind. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's great. And it's something that I do struggle with is, you know, you can almost learn a lesson from some of those people and then shut it off and lock it away or move it away or put file that box in the basement, you know? Um, but that's hard. That's hard to do. Um, because they, it does it. It does something to the human mind. I think when you are exposed to that kind of uh, just that deliberate negativity. 
And so how do you, how do you, it's part of who, where you've been and, and what you've experienced. And then everyone has to find a way to stop it or pause that and move on from it. So you can keep being the best person that you are. Clearly I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's, it's about what you do with it. You can't stop anyone or yourself from having a feeling. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of, and this is harkening back to some of our other uh, episodes. Mm -hmm. We're having a lot of conversations where we seem to think that people aren't going to have feelings about things. And especially in this like digital world where we've talked about it's so dangerous, to, easy to forget that and just, you know, type something or tap a button and off it goes without any thinking about what that's going to do to someone or something out there. And on the opposite end, letting that person just have a feeling that can change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's also what I mean, is that it, it's right. it's impossible not to feel something. Mm -hmm. When someone says something very mean to you, especially somebody, as you're hinting to, that's a mentor or you thought was a teacher or, you know, someone that is supposed to be there to give helpful, constructive criticism, it's impossible not to feel something, but there's mm -hmm. this fantastic, fantastic video that has been going around recently that really sums this up for me. And it's a basketball coach. And I believe it's at Duke. I hope I got that right. Yeah. And she says, life never gets easier. You just do hard better. <laughs> yeah. And that's perfect. That's, that's brilliant. brilliant. I love really the good. way she said that. Life doesn't ever get easier. We have this idea that, oh, we see our mm -hmm. the adults in our life and it's easier for them. No, they're just better at doing hard things. They've had more experience at it, learn more lessons along the way. And that's how I see it. I was yeah. very young when I um, you know, and and you know, we might go to some interesting places today in this conversation, Adam. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I will freely admit that I was I was also abused in my profession, and I was I'm really? an abuse victim as a child and as a young artist wow. from this profession. So wow. I can't not feel. I can't not feel things, <laughs> mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. when it comes to that. Sure, you just do hard better you mm -hmm. decide whether it's going to define you or whether it's going to maybe even motivate you to just be better than that to treat people mm -hmm. better than better they than treated that. you and mm -hmm. so for me like any instrument or any art or any performance it's practice <laughs> i've just right. practiced and i've mm -hmm. gotten i've gotten a lot better um at not only how I handle things, but also mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot better at not putting up with the abuse either. I've gotten a lot better at calling it out. I've gotten a lot better mm -hmm. at sticking up for not only my colleagues, but for myself mm -hmm. and saying, I won't work in that environment. I won't work in this condition. And if that doesn't change, I go. Mm -hmm. For two reasons. One, there are other artists. <laughs> I'm not the only important artist in the world. There are millions mm -hmm. of other beautiful colleagues who can do the job as well and probably better than I can. So I'm not making this out to sound like I'm amazing. I don't mean that. I just no, mean sure, sure, sure. there are other artists. And secondly, I need my integrity. Mm -hmm. So the abuse stops or I go. It, it, mm -hmm. It's that simple. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's really that easy for me. So I think I, I don't know that you ever fully get over it, but as that basketball coach said, you just do hard better. And yeah. so I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful mantra that everybody should remember. I, I, I think that's wonderful. I hadn't heard that, but I, I, I'm going to look that video up now for sure. 
Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. The you mentioned a couple skills there that I think are so critical for people to learn. Mm -hmm. The earlier they can learn them in life, the better. I think I think they're not easy skills to learn. You mentioned coping with things, and you mentioned being able to call things out, which I for me is part and parcel of can you identify something that's happening on the fly? You know, can you see, can you recognize a, a negative behavior when it's oh. happening? For me, that's extremely difficult. I'm, that's hard. I'm, I'm oh. one that says, you know, I'll come back a day later with a, a list of oh. pages long of all the things I wish I had been able to yes. say. I can't, I can't do it at the moment. I've always had to work at that really, really hard. And, and then coping with stuff, like that's a whole that's a whole other different skill set because like what are the options and i don't think we're doing a good job at teaching a lot of young people these types of skills early and maybe that's part of just raising everybody to think the world is just a, you know a, a great easy fun cool place to be and it is in a lot of ways it really really is 80 percent of the time 90 percent of the time but there's this like to use your numbers you, you said before 80 20. There's, there's this yeah the, the, uh, the 80 20 rule there there's this remaining chunk of the time where you're going to encounter stuff that's bad obstacles that are there it's 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 not just it's not reasonable it's just it's hurtful it is it's what it is it's deliberate it's painful it's all these things and yet we don't seem to perhaps it's a cultural thing we don't seem to um highlight the skills for dealing with that effectively. And I think that leads to a lot of um, unnecessary pain and suffering. I so connect with you on the a day later thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel like a day later, I have an essay of all the things that were wrong about what you said to me. <laughs> yes, sir. Because <laughs> I am naturally, <laughs> naturally uh, if I may say this about myself, I'm a naturally very gentle, non-confrontational guy. I mean, I know myself and that's yeah. just, I'm a gentle boy. I always was a gentle boy. I'm a gentle guy. Like that's just <laughs> yeah. how I am. But you're absolutely right. How do we learn to, in the moment, be more present and be more aware mm -hmm. of what's going on while not going too far the other way and to think that we're right all the time? And, and turning and turning something into an accusation or something that becomes hurtful the other way because the person might not have intended something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and I I sometimes think that people who stand up for themselves all the time are just sort of hiding the fact that they just want to be right all the time. So it's mm -hmm. for me, it's a balancing act. It's right. about tell me what you meant. <laughs> I didn't like what that what you just said. Tell me maybe I've missed it. And that's what it's been about for me. Asking questions getting to clarify with, with, oh, with the or something questions are way more um how would i say they they open way more space mm. whereas statements can often close things off whereas questions allow for a, a more understanding so that's been more one expository. of the tricks mm -hmm. i'm still not great at it <laughs> I hear you. and in fact i'll share i'll share an example of this this past weekend I gave a workshop. As I've said to you, I give many a workshop and I mm -hmm. love, love, love giving my voice health clinics. They give, they bring me much joy. Wonderful. And we were talking about um, pharmacological things that you have to consider that can affect your voice, right? So for example, Advil and aspirin, 
being blood thinners. Those can be dangerous to take right before you sing because when the blood is flowing more easily through your body, you can push too hard and you can damage your voice oh, okay. because you think you can do things. You know, oh, I'm feeling really good because the blood's right. flowing, but right. that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the structure to deal with that extra pressure. Anyway, long story short, mm -hmm. there was a person in the room that I was teaching to who got on their phone and said, I'm not convinced that Advil's a blood thinner. And I kind of, I did that thing where I, you know, sort of was a Canadian and I was polite and, and God bless one of the people in the, in the group of student, adult students was a nurse. And she said, no, it's a blood thinner. <laughs> and there this person was being the sort of, if I may say, the kind of anti-vaxxer who did 30 seconds of Googling and called themselves right. doing their own research, right? right. Yeah. In front of me, in front of all of these people that I was, and I realized in that moment, what I wanted to say was, how does 30 seconds of Google replace my 10 years of post-secondary education? Exactly, yeah. And, but yet I sort of said, oh no, I'm pretty sure it's a blood thinner, you know, I went, to, I just did this thing and thank God, God bless this nurse, she was like, it's a blood thinner. He's he's right. <laughs> now, it's a very specific example, but I was almost more upset with myself than with this person who did that to me because if you want to change the world, you have to look in the mirror, right? Mm -hmm. I was almost more upset with my reaction. I was more upset that I didn't trust my expertise, that I didn't trust my education, that I didn't I didn't trust that I learned that information from doctors from mm -hmm. the medical school that I partially did my PhD in, you know, right. and so we can, we worry about our egos. I worry sometimes about our lack of ego. I worry mm -hmm. about how, how little self-worth and how little self-credit that I had in that moment, not to say, excuse me, I would appreciate that you not be on your phone while I'm teaching and that you not Google something in 30 seconds and call yourself an expert when I spent 10 years studying the human voice. Mm -hmm. Because that can feel icky, especially for Canadians, right? Because it, Canadians yes. are not good with confidence. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. live in a country where confidence is an insult. When somebody calls you confident, they are not complimenting you. Whereas in the States, confidence is a compliment. It is a legitimate compliment whereas right. here what we're doing is we're passively aggressively calling you arrogant right so yeah right we, as Canadians, are so, yes. right we're so frighteningly mm -hmm. polite that we can sometimes even veer to just self-deprecating lack of ego and i really it literally the next day i thought i had this little monologue how dare you you know i sort of got into this yeah. space and god bless again that nurse for coming to my rescue but you do feel especially in my case where i sort of straddle the arts and health mm -hmm. because i'm not an md i init i always automatically go to you know sort of deferential and oh i'm not an md right. and the nurse came up to me afterwards and she said you can speak to this stuff it's okay <laughs> you have a phd in this you're allowed and i went thank you there's so the person who's really, got your back right it, right it she has my back, got your back. Yeah. but i can't wait for the day when i have my own back well i think um what you just said i identify with so much of it and i think again why it's tricky is allowing like a, a healthy expression of your ego constructively mm. i think that also you can break that down into several um skills some small skill sets but you need to be able to one needs to be able to apply it again quickly and on the spot you need to again there's a process of identifying what just happened being able to kind of assess um does that make sense or not 
coming up with um, the polite um, but firm words to to challenge it or to push back or whatever you want to say um, without again locking down a conversation shutting something down uh, shutting shutting somebody down who maybe does have a valid point in a certain case it's hard to do that in the span of a couple of seconds mm -hmm. when when again you're standing up in front of a group of people especially mm -hmm. very difficult to do even if you're in a one-on-one -on -one situation with somebody it's hard to harness those sets of skills, but I think it's almost a set of skills that you would one would need to have like the healthy expression of one's ego. It's tough. We're not taught how to do that, and especially as I said, in this frighteningly polite country, I think I think it's England. Upon. It's, I it's, think England has us only a little bit more in the frighteningly polite, but you know, Canada's up there in the world of being just so deferential and kind and those are the kindness obviously we love but there's something that we can take too far sometimes too far. Mm -hmm. and we can forget that kindness needs to be framed within the context that that person wasn't being kind to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean that i have to be mean to that person and that's, that's right. the difference how do we when when what someone is doing when what someone is standing for and what someone is promoting isn't kind there has to be a moment where we're allowed to stop that mm -hmm. and yes. where we're allowed to say hold on you may not be intending to do this i, I you cannot look into someone's heart and know their intentions it's it's mm -hmm. practically impossible to do but <laughs> or and <laughs> we're supposed to say yeah. and not but mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's also a way that we can say maybe there's another way we can do this maybe there's another way you could have brought that up maybe there's a way we could have a conversation and it's how i feel when i'm in rehearsals for a, a play a musical an opera i have some colleagues who want to instantly argue with the director and i say we have an hour for this rehearsal if there's a character choice that you really feel you need to make is it possible that maybe that's a conversation that could take place between you and the director at another time, but there are other people on this stage with you. Right. And and I'm kind of old school. The director, what the director says is what I, I do. You know, I'm very, I'm very sort of old school that way. But there are moments where even that individual could have come up to me after and said, I just, I just want to check. I, I I've never heard that before. That's new to me. I know a lot about, you know, maybe she felt she knew a lot about or they, sorry, I shouldn't have said there. <laughs> I don't want to reveal too much, but um, but maybe they feel that they know a lot about pharmacology, whatever it is. But it was it was that moment where again, I I'm more upset with my reaction than with what with what they did. Yeah. Hey, at least you know you're you're expressing the uh, the self reflection in, yeah. in the process. I think I think that's wonderful. I think more people should do that. Um, I do that a lot too. I'm self critical of of a lot a lot a lot of uh, what I should have said or done or anything. Like that. I, I mean, know I think this, it's this so easy the next day, <laughs> but I think it's it's also healthy to do that because I think it. Um, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm all not perfect. I work to get better at stuff. But I still, I get so frustrated when I just wish if I had had five more minutes, I could have. That's sort of why I ought to. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. So how do you use your successful moments to mm. propel yourself forward? And particularly, and how do you overcome the difficult, bad things that happen? As a person, as a, as a, as a, as a performer, 
I think those are challenges. Again, it, go, it goes to what we were speaking about before, that whole um, identifying what's going on, finding a way to cope, finding a way to do harder, better. You know, how do you how do you do that? Do you what like again? What are your your sort of mental frameworks or strategies for for advance for continuing to advance yourself? I would say my first answer to that question is owing a lot of credit and gratitude to various entities that I have listened to, read, seen, heard, who have mm -hmm. given me wonderful, wonderful pieces of advice. That was one of my questions for later on. Actually, was, was getting into this very, very thing: is who are your 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 mentors, your colleagues, your friends, yeah. your family, your influences, be it music, film, books, whatever. This is why these combos are so easy with you, Adam. We're always mm. we're always on the same page, even when we don't know it. Totally, that's right. Perfect. So yeah, it's it's been about just hearing other people's stories, and that's why I love. Excuse me when people share their stories, because when you share your story, people can hear themselves in you and they find their story in yours. Mm -hmm. And so I've had wonderful books, podcasts, philosophies, um, speaking in, you know, being at a speaking engagement, watching an interview, whatever it may be. There have been so many wonderful, wonderful opportunities for me to learn strategies. I've also, of course, I think I shared this one time, I have no qualms in, in sharing that I have been to therapy as well as I think many people have. And I'm, I'm a fan of many people going. I think we all should experience therapy because right. um, there's nothing wrong with needing a little bit of help from somebody, especially mm -hmm. someone who's qualified and trained to help people help. through things. So right. finally, I would say just doing it <laughs> over and over practice resilience and it's one of the reasons that i i try to subvert the narrative a little bit there's this sense that when you see somebody who seems to have it all together that they've never been through anything mm -hmm. i actually offer to people that if practice makes perfect then that means that that person had to practice it a lot a lot yep so I try to, because I'm often, not often, but sometimes I'm told, oh my gosh, Mark, like, wow, you're so deep and you, you, know, you have all these things and you have it all together. And I say, yeah, because I've gone through the mud mm -hmm. because that should indicate to you how often I've had to practice resilience. The only reason I'm resilient, and it's a beautiful compliment that I receive gratefully to be told that I'm resilient. That's a very, very, very mm -hmm. powerful thing to hear. I'm mm -hmm. grateful for it. Like any instrument, as I said earlier, you have to practice. practice. And unfortunately, the, the you know the, there's a light and a dark to everything, right? The the, the light and the shadow. The shadow mm -hmm. to my resilience is that means that I've had to practice it a lot because right. it means I've been through a lot of things in my life, yeah. which is why I never assume anybody else hasn't been through anything as well. I never assume anyone has it worse or better than me because I don't know. There are very few people's stories that I actually know. So all of those tools that I mentioned in the first part of my answer mm -hmm. have served the fact that I've just had to practice it. <laughs> and that like mm -hmm. the basketball coach said, you do hard better. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Okay. It, it's, um, there are just, you just have to keep working. It just, there's, there's no shortcut for doing the hard work. And you know, you, you hear that kind of expression, whether someone wants to start a business, whether someone wants to, 
seek a promotion at, at work or advance their career, whether they want to get better at a sport or an art, there's, there's no shortcuts for, for doing the, the hard work. In fact, one of the really famous um, drumming instruction books mm -hmm. that I have is, is by one of the world's top snare drummers nice. and it's called taking no shortcuts yeah it, it just there's no you and it, it's it's pages and pages and pages of rudiments and mm -hmm. all this stuff and the going thing is until you can play that book almost perfectly it's not time for you to try out for his drum core because you can't take the shortcuts you've got to just put in the time put in the work put in the practice and and even and all of that is that i think part of that process of becoming resilient it's gonna mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna you know trip and fall and you're gonna get messed up and have good days and bad days but you gotta just keep going you just have to keep going and again like we said earlier much harder much, I'm sorry, much easier said than done yeah but i don't i think i completely agree there's there's just there's no there's no easy way there i think there are easy steps we can take but the way itself is is, is tough well and and you're hinting at two other things that I would sort of add to my own answer and to yours, mm -hmm. what you're hinting at as well is not judging it. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, huge part. And I know that sounds sort of simple and glib, but I really, really mean not judging whether it was good or bad, right? We hear the word rudiments and we think, oh, I'm rudimentary. Every artist yeah. every human every athlete every whatever your job or your title or your humanity is mm -hmm. everyone needs to remember the basics yep. and not judging the ups and downs as necessarily being ups and downs because sometimes what you think is a down actually may have opened the best door ever for you and Absolutely. sometimes when i had a big success was exactly when a predator abused me as i you know what i mean like there mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. can be a light and a dark to everything. So not judging the practice, not mm -hmm. judging the doing hard better along the way, because you do hard better, but it doesn't mean you always do it well. <laughs> you mm -hmm. have to, you, I still fail at doing hard sometimes. I really do. I'm still on my journey. And then with that, the second thing I would add is you don't have to market it either. You don't have to attach your identity and say that something works so now I'm in this camp and I follow this and I subscribe to this. We get in this ideological sort of fixated sense of, oh, you know, for example, to, to answer partly your upcoming question, one of the people that I have found very helpful in my life is a, an entity named Marianne Williamson. I just love the way that she mentioned her world, much of her poetry, many of her philosophies have been very helpful to me. That doesn't mean when I meet her, if I ever meet her, I'm going to go, oh, Marianne Williamson, and you can do no, 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 she's a person. Mm -hmm. And she has some philosophies, some I agree with, formerly and don't now and some I didn't agree with and now do I can't market it I can't become because then I'm not mark I'm not I'm not myself I've become something else so when people say oh so you're a liberal I'm like well I mean okay yeah what do you mean by I that kind of fall <laughs> left of center sure but if I have to be one thing that's that as andrew garfield god bless that actor have you ever you need to watch him be interviewed he's one of the deepest most amazing guys he's so cool okay. he said certainty is what causes war 
Certainty mm -hmm. is what says, I'm right, you're wrong, and we're going to fight about it. And mm -hmm. so certainty is actually one of the things that scares me the most, mm -hmm. is that I am not going to quote Marianne Williamson as one of my mentors, because sure. I think she's perfect and I always agree with her. I'm, I will never, and this is a very yoga practice about unattachment, right? Like mm -hmm. not attaching mm -hmm. yourself to things. So when the practice is hard, when the practice is good, when the audience loves it, when the audience hates it, it's all fine. You don't have to judge it and you don't have to market it. You don't have to attach yourself to one way of being. It's just all part of it. And yes, God forbid, there is a conservative politician or two who said a few things I agree with because <laughs> life is on a spectrum. I may fall on a particular side of the spectrum, but who cares? It doesn't mean that a logical answer isn't a logical answer. It doesn't mean that a spiritual truth is a, isn't a spiritual truth. It's just, you're on your journey. Excuse me, I'm rambling now, but it's, not at all. it's so important to me to not judge it and not to ideologically attach one's identity to something because that is the definition of losing yourself. And you mentioned this, I think it was in our last episode, our third one, mm -hmm. the, the notion of being able to hold as people competing ideas or notions yeah. simultaneous, simultaneously. Yeah. The world does not need to be mutually exclusive on everything no. because that's the certainty that you mentioned Andrew Garfield says causes conflict. Yeah. We have to get better at, at having these ideas that might compete, might conflict, uh, and, and recognizing that, you know, maybe that's even okay. And but how can we, we let that inform us? How can we find the grain of truth? How can we say, okay, fundamentally, not a fan, but what, what, what can I pull from that? What What is the truth for that person that often means a lot to them? Mm -hmm. And if it means a lot to them and I just ad hominem attack and just, you know, just make it all about them, I've lost the opportunity to have this beautiful conversation with another human being where we can find something common and true. Now, that stops at bullying. <laughs> that stops mm -hmm. at racism. That stops at homophobia. You know, we have to have our lines. Of course. And that's and totally fine. There are some basic truths I am, yes, even certain of, which is yeah. that, you know, where wherever you, there's places in the world where they throw gay people off of roofs. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of that. It's no. not, no. not going to be okay with that. But that's very different than sure. somebody we're, having, we're like, very... you know, a financial opinion about how fiscally right. responsible we should be. That's a very different level. And if we can't recognize that those stakes are very different, different <laughs> we have gotten to a very scary place. Yeah, when we can't, when we can no longer reckon, recognize like fundamental human rights, uh, because no. we get we get lost in the noise or, or something like that. We have we're we're having a problem here. Exactly. So I'm a big fan. Again, eighty twenty. Twenty for me is, yeah, eighty percent of my beliefs and who I am. Yeah, I carry those with me all the time. But if that twenty percent cannot find new ways, if it cannot find new perspectives, if it can't inform the 80%, because I always think the 80% is your lifetime and the 20% is the last few years that have sort of, you know, and it, and it, it it's the recent shaping the long-term stuff, right? And so for me, oh, I like that. my 80% is that lifespan of who I've been my whole life, but there's always that 20 that is the day-to-day -day existence where I go, oh, I've never thought of that. Ooh. I just traveled to a new place and I gained this experience or I tried a food I'd never, and that always 
sort of deposits a little bit of money back into that bank account, back into that 80% that will always be the kind of fundamental consistent mark, but that has grown and changed over the years. And I just noticed that there's this sense that everybody's trying to be this 100% thing. I, I can't do that. I have no capability of doing that. Well, and, and there's, there's again, that we're, we're tying together some threads here. Like that notion, you mentioned the word perfection a minute ago, um, of certainty, which, you know, if you're, if you're certain and it's going to be perfect, you know, you're, you're almost going to the point, especially if you're, if you're trying to perform as a human or perform as an artist or an athlete, you're, you're getting to the point when you're after that perfection, not that you don't want to seek to do the very best you can do, but if you're, if you're hamstringing yourself, you're getting tied into that, that zone so tightly, you're actually going to prevent yourself from doing the thing that you're setting out to do. You have to get, leave that little bit of space. Uh, of uncertainty or, or or however you want to call it because that that's where that magic starts to happen where you know that that your inner self can really really come out yeah and it's like bringing a role to a director if i'm if i'm certain i'm missing opportunities to discover new moments mm -hmm. if i'm certain i'm not paying attention to my colleagues because acting is reacting i know i've said that on this podcast mm -hmm. acting mm -hmm. is reacting so if i think this is how it's to be performed i'm not paying attention to my fellow actors i'm not I'm not responding to what they're giving me and that's where the magic is. So yeah, 80%, I show up prepared, I know my lines, but I, I have to leave the 20% for a change, for growth, for reinterpretation. And maybe you've seen a, a play more than one night, it's not always the same every every night, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, and people listening in Stratford at the Stratford Festival would know that energy can change. A cast member comes in and an understudy does it a little different. There's always going to be so this rigid way of living. I, I, I don't know. I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, well, it, to just pick up on that example, I was uh, just speaking to uh, my dad yesterday uh, who's in Stratford here. And he had been speaking to um, a woman who was an usher at the theater. And I guess, you know, they're, they're putting it down to just the weather has been changing. It's been cooler and, and rainier. You know, the, the house has only been, uh, the, the theater house has only been filled like, you know, 25, 30% of capacity now at the end of the season. Yep. And, you know, you, you can see it. it it's not, uh, there's not the same energy as when it was filled up over the summer, you know, and, and that does, that affects the other audience members. It affects the staff. It affects the performers. Uh, but like you said, it's also just the way that it is. That's the nature of, of that beast, you know? It is what it is. And as I've, I've said for many years, it doesn't have to be a good thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's, it's just a thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it's how you roll with it. It's how you do hard better. It's how you see life as 80-20 and how you respond. As we all know, we all say that, right? It's how you respond that really, it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond to it. So to it, yeah. I think... Um, Interestingly enough, looking at the time here, I think that might be a great segue into the next episode because I would love to explore that more with you and talk about those mentors who have influenced me. And I want to give that its full due. It's full so due. I think that might be a lovely way, if I may offer, that we end today's episode, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Well, that okay, sounds great. great. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for this today. This has been a lot of fun. And um, I, I, I just loved your analogy of, you know, living life in the 80-20 uh, framework. I, I, that's me. I'm going to have to take that away and, and uh, think about that some more today. So, Wonderful. <laughs> so, and that's just one of many things I jotted down here today. But, uh, but thank you again for that. So uh, that's been great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time here again today, Mark. Um, I'm just having a lot of fun doing this. 
Danielle and I have a lot of fun, so fun. Through listening to them. It's 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 great. I mean, like I said, we're getting some great uh, feedback um, from our listeners on uh, on these episodes. So uh, I hope we can still do do some more in the near future. And uh, in the meantime, I hope you have a great day there in Ottawa. I'm assuming you're there today. Mm-hmm. And uh, and to everybody else who's listening to Thoughts and Found, thank you so much for your time today. We are grateful to have you with us. And we wish you a wonderful day wherever you are. And uh, we'll be back again soon with another episode. Thanks, Adam. Have a great day.